Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Notable. Welcome back. Welcome back <laughs> to series two of Notable. Who'd have thought it? Series when two. We started series one all those months ago. I know. Series two or season two if you're listening to us in America. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We do have some listeners in America. We do. We're big in, uh, where is it again? Croatia. We're big in Bosnia and the Cayman Islands. <laughs> We were briefly top of the arts podcast chart in Bosnia and the Cayman Islands. So a big hello to our fans and friends in Bosnia and the Cayman Islands. Uh, yeah, we promise to come and see you. A- absolutely. We've booked our flights to the Cayman Islands as soon as lockdown allows. We should say thank you so much to everybody who listened and downloaded season one and for all the lovely things you said about yeah. it. All of season one is still available. Absolutely. If you missed it. If you're just joining us now, that's Wherever fine. Wherever you get your podcast. Wherever you get your podcast yeah. from. But um, yeah, do continue to get in touch with us and support us and download and favourite and whatever it is you do. We're uh, at Twitter. We're on Twitter at Notable Pod. Um, so people can catch us there. We're also on Instagram. Shall we say who we are in case people don't know? So um, yeah, let me just get the the, the Notable handle. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's at no. You're right. It's at Notable Pod. Oh, Stuart, you know it by heart. At Notable Pod. There you go. I'm Stuart McConey. I'm Elizabeth Holker. And Notable, if you haven't listened to season series one, it's curious tales from the world of music, isn't it, Stuart? And pretty much any kind of music spanning the whole, well, whatever, 2,000 yeah. years or Interesting, fascinating bits of history, culture, uh, curiosities from the world of music. Uh, as Elizabeth says, any genre of music is grist to our mill. Music in the most broad and loosest sense in some ways. And we're kicking off season two with, we're going to talk about the Beatles and how they tried to make a film of the Lord of the Rings. Amazing. And I'm going to tell you the story, the extraordinary story of the life of Josephine Baker. Great. Singer, movie star, erotic dancer, resistance fighter. Erotic dancer, resistance fighter and activist. Certainly that's what it says on my business card. But Josephine Baker, <laughs> Josephine Baker got there first, and we'll tell you about that. Let's start, though, by talking, talking. Are you familiar with the uh, popular series of books, The Lord of the Rings, Elizabeth? I am, but, you know, I hate The Lord of the Rings. So, um... <laughs> Well, that's lost. There's a lot of listeners straight away. <laughs> I right. liked The Hobbit okay. when I was about seven, and... Then I remember trying to read Lord of the Rings as a teenager and just thinking, oh my goodness, this is the worst and most boring book I've ever picked up ever. It's like Groundhog Day. It's like being stuck in a terrible dream that you can't get out of. You know, like, so 
you almost you're on the edge of like right. a terrible thing happening and then this like wizard wizard shows up and saves you just in the nick of time but then literally five minutes down the road you you find right. yourself in the same position and you right. can't wake up because okay. you, you're ill it's like that kind of dream and then there's this horrible ring that turns you into like a lizard or something in the interest of balance i would say that um despite elizabeth's criticisms it's quite popular the lord of the rings series of novels <laughs> uh and so are the films based on them i quite liked it when i was a teenager i think it's I think it gets a bad press because by me, I think people go, "Oh, Lord of the Rings." No, but also people go, "Yeah, yeah." It's often like nerdy people. It's actually really it's a, as a it's a monumental achievement by Tolkien, and the films by Peter Jackson have introduced it to a whole new generation. Generation, yeah, yeah. Of people. I just remember being on holiday with my grandma and granddad and watching the films, and these trees started running, and Ents. I was thinking. Ents. Oh, Ents. Yeah, it's not a documentary. I thought we should point that out. If anybody... I was like, this is beyond the pale. It is very much a fantasy. In fact, some could say that it invented the genre that is called fantasy. Okay. But the films, there is a predating film to the uh, the Peter Jackson films made by Saul Zentz, an animated... He never got the money to complete it. An animated version of the first two books, I think. But before then, incredibly, there was nearly a version... With the Beatles in it. This is just Starring the isn't it? Beatles. And we're going to tell you about that. Let's talk first about Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. He's a professor at Oxford. I'll get a bit of background in case you need it. Professor at Oxford. He teaches Anglo Saxon, medieval Welsh, and old Icelandic. He's translated Beowulf. And he writes essentially in the beginning for fun and as a linguistic experiment. After The Hobbit, this trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit comes out in 1937. The Lord of the Rings comes out in 1954. I mean, I won't go into the detail about what they're about. That surely we know what we're talking about here. We're talking about a fantasy world of good versus evil in a in a kingdom elves. that involves elves, running wizards, trees, dwarves, wizards. Tree, yeah. running trees, as Elizabeth has said. <laughs> Although what are they, they called? Ents. 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 Although it comes out in 1954, uh, or the three volumes, I should say, there are three separate volumes in the trilogy. It really booms in popularity in the 60s when the hippies embrace it, which is interesting because Tolkien was very conservative Catholic, Mm. not really very keen on the pop culture, certainly not on the counterculture. Well, the story, it mirrors, you know, the story of Christianity, essentially, doesn't it? It's good versus evil. Good versus evil. There's redemption and, you know, salvation. It also mirrors the Second World War, although he was always very keen to say that it's not an allegory of the Second World War, but as it was written pretty much contemporaneous with the Second World War. It's hard to hard to resist the temptation to say that it was. But yeah, the hippies go for it because it's, well, it's fantastical. Man, it's got wizards, it's got elves, yeah. you know. It, a bit like Alice in Wonderland exactly. was the same, wasn't it? Exactly, yes, exactly. Going down the rabbit hole. There are many exactly. holes that you can fall down if you, yeah. depending yeah. on what substances you... Well, that's prefer. an interesting thing. And, and the Peter Jackson movie makes something of this. They smoke something called pipe weed in the books, right. which Peter Jackson has a little bit of fun with saying, well, is that a bit like dope? Which Tolkien was very keen that it wasn't seen as mm. that. But again, that's a kind of hippie thing that the hippies could maybe get a bit of purchase on. Amongst the hippies who loved it were the Beatles. So they were actually big fans then of the story? Apparently so. Right, particularly okay. John Lennon. Okay. Particularly John Lennon. So now... The Beatles have already made two movies and they have a contract with the United Artists to make a third. Uh, Hard Day's Night and Help they've already made. Apparently, I don't know why, Yellow Submarine didn't count because it was an animated thing and whilst it used Beatle kind of imagery, it didn't have the Beatles in it and it didn't even have their voices in it. So 
From the point of view of United Artists, it didn't count. So Dennis O'Dell, the producer that they'd worked with on the first two Beatles films, he starts looking around for some ideas. An idea that comes up is The Lord of the Rings, amazingly. The Beatles like it. Lennon's really keen on it. Apple, the, the newly formed Apple Corporation, are keen on it. We're talking the end of the 60s. No one's quite sure when this happened. We think maybe 1969 this starts to occur. Okay. Maybe 68. Certainly late in the 1960s. So Odell, on behalf of the Beatles and Apple, starts to sound out some directors. They decide that Richard Lester, who's done the first two Beatles movies, isn't quite right for this. Um, and so they uh, they start to think. And Lennon is very keen on it being Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Which is extraordinary. Mm. We should say as well that uh, amongst other people who were keen on this idea was Donovan. Donovan's wow. one of the Beatles' circle who... Donovan, I'll get on in a moment to who the Beatles were going to play. because That makes sense. They were going to play in this, yeah. Was Donovan going to be Gandalf? Oh, no, you're going to tell us. No, okay. no, no, no. Donovan what? is going to be Merry, okay. one of the four hobbits. Right. Because I'd originally thought, we'll come back to this, but I'd originally thought that when I heard the Beatles were going to cast themselves in it, the obvious thing to do is that the Beatles will be the four hobbits. There's four yeah. hobbits and there's four. Not at all. I'll come back to that. Okay. Donovan thinks that Twiggy should be in it as right. Galadriel, the elven... Uh, princess as it were mm -hmm. anyway they contact stanley kubrick who's not read the books and he says uh, okay um i'll have a think about it he, he looks into the books and he says no they're unfilmable right uh, they're absolutely unfilmable is this because of all the special effects that you'd need that i guess weren't around at the time absolutely yeah but the thing is though you know films with a kind of fantasy theme were made i'm thinking of the bbc's Chronicles of Narnia, which I really enjoyed, even though the lion was clearly a robot. <laughs> but people well, turned to I stone think... and there were fawns and, you know, flying witches. I think had they done it, it wouldn't have been anything like what we saw with the Peter Jackson things. Had they done it, and we'll come back to what they were going to do, I think we might be talking much more a kind of musical dressy up extravaganza almost like okay. Camelot or something like that you know almost right. like that kind of thing maybe something as you say the, not fr not as frightening not as you know militaristic maybe and sensational but maybe something a bit more playful and psychedelic Kubrick says it's I, it can't be done it can't be filmed you know he says it's half a million words long it's bigger than War and Peace he doesn't like doing long films anyway but Kubrick's right-hand man at the time, a guy called Leon Vitali, he said they did go for lunch with him. He says uh, they came to Stanley's office to talk to him about it. He says it wasn't really in Kubrick's ballpark, but he says that Lennon was the driving force behind it because Lennon, he says, Lennon was crazy about 2001 A Space Odyssey. Now, if these dates are right, that would mean that it is a 69. He was crazy about 2001 Space Odyssey and watched it once a week. And he'd also love things like Dr. Strangelove. So he really wanted Kubrick uh, to do it. Other people apparently in consideration, Antonioni, who did Blow Up, who just had a big success with Blow Up. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And so let's talk about what the idea was, though. The idea was that the Beatles would star in it. Okay. So it wouldn't be a cartoon. wouldn't be a cartoon. It would be would live be... action starring Paul McCartney as Frodo. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, think I, I can, can see, see that, that happening. Ringo Starr as Sam Gamgee, his loyal... You know, friend, yeah. and again, fine. Makes sense. George Harrison as Gandalf. Okay, curveball. 
Do you think Eastern mysticism, all that, wizard? Yeah, I guess. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, okay. And okay. John Lennon, on his own insistence, as Gollum. That's interesting, isn't it? Wow. That's interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. Interesting that Lennon What was cast, he trying to say? Well, I think he's trying to say, I'm an anti-hero, I'm a bit strange, I'm a bit odd. It's a bit like... Yeah. When Sting wanted to do the Gormenghast trilogy and Sting wanted to cast himself as Steerpike, and if you know the Gormenghast trilogy, he's the slightly mischievous, malevolent, upstart kitchen boy who climbs his way to the top. And I think there's something going on that here with Lennon saying, no, I don't want to be one of the good guys. I want to be Gollum. Okay. I think that for I think the, the, that casting's actually pretty spot on if you think about the Beatles. Yeah. Okay. I think that's pretty spot. I mean, having given up halfway through the first one, yeah. I'm not that. You're probably not the expert. You know what? They weren't going to get you involved. I don't think, even if you've been around at the time. No. I'd refuse, like Kubrick and uh, and Tolkien himself. Yeah. So anyway, but it just they Kubrick when Kubrick says no. The, the 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 impetus kind of fails, but the main reason it fails, certainly why they didn't push on with getting new directors, maybe, is that one person who very much didn't want it to happen was J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah, amazing. Tolkien nixed the idea. Anyway, he had the rights to the films. Now, he had moved in 1953 for his wife's health. He'd moved out to the countryside. He'd moved, well, semi-countryside in Oxford, Sandfield Road in Oxford. And he said in a letter that he wrote to a friend, he said uh, he thought it was going to be peaceful and quiet, but it had radio, television, dogs, scooters and cars of all sizes making noise all day. And then he said, in addition, in a house three doors away dwells a member of a group of young men who are evidently aiming to turn themselves into a beetle group. <laughs> the noise is indescribable. Now, I have seen a YouTube documentary, a bizarrely, brilliantly inaccurate YouTube documentary, that says that Tolkien actually moved next door to the Beatles. Okay. That's not true. No. Because the Beatles did not all live together in suburban Oxford. I think we know that. <laughs> what Tolkien did say is that he moved into a street. Tolkien Street had some young lads in it who were trying to be a band like the Beatles. Yeah. I mean, that is that is hellish. Who wants that? No one. Well, no one. You're right. Certainly not Tolkien. So he nixed it anyway. So with, with the idea that Kubrick said it's unfilmable and Tolkien himself says, I don't want, absolutely don't want the Beatles... He wasn't very, he was quite a conservative dude. I've read a letter of his where he talks about, he rails against the modern world. He says he doesn't like sanitation, which seems a bit odd. He doesn't like feminism. And he doesn't like morale pep. I've no idea what that means. What? How weird. But anyway, he didn't like pop music. He didn't like the Beatles. And so these two things, Tolkien's disapproval, Stanley Kubrick's insistence it was unfilmable, they don't go through, is it? So it's years and years later that Peter Jackson eventually makes the very successful movie franchise. But get this, Jackson met McCartney at the time, because we should know Jackson's also making a, a Beatles documentary at the moment called about Get Back, which I can't wait to see. He tells him, he says he talks to Paul McCartney about it, and um, and Paul said, yeah, 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 it was something that John really wanted to do. Tolkien still had the film rights at that stage, but he didn't like the idea of us doing it, so he killed it off. And then he says, but it was a good job he killed it off, because if we'd made ours, you wouldn't have made yours. And yours is really good, Aww. and yours is better than ours would have been. So McCartney concedes that it might have been a disaster if right. the Beatles ever did. How funny that Tolkien... Um... I mean, okay, he may not have liked or been indifferent about the Beatles, but 
you'd have thought he could have seen the opportunity there. <laughs> them being what do you mean financial, yeah, yeah, and them just being the biggest band in the world and getting his book out to a you know a new generation or having well, it immortalized in yeah, that way. I guess I so. I, I genuinely don't think things like that bothered him. He was a yeah. I mean, he he it was a he a was lot, a philologist. It? Really, he was interested in language. I mean, he didn't even really intend to become a successful novel i mean he he says you know the tale grew in the telling and the idea was for a, a linguistic expert a philologist to try his hand at an experiment in f- languages really right you know because and if you've read the lord of the rings which you i know haven't, haven't. I've struggled with <laughs> lots of it is about language it's about elvish and the dark tongue and things like that okay so, but anyway one last thing before we move off this topic though one of the other failed outlets for it one of the when they realized that this talking thing wasn't going to work and they wondered what they what they could do for this third film with the united artists they approached then fashionable leicester stroke london playwright joe orton okay and asked him to write a beetle movie he wrote a script called up against it which is extremely shocking and risque so much so that epstein said no way are the beatles doing that wow but maybe that's just maybe that's a subject for another notable, the failed Beatle Joe Orton movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Why were they so kind of, well, maybe not obsessed, but why were they concerned with going into the movies? You know, what was that about? Was it just a way to make, you know, continue to continue working? Because I guess even at that time, I mean, they will have made their money, obviously, but even at that time, rock and roll, I suppose, was seen to be quite a short-term, short-lived thing, wasn't well, it? Well, I don't think they were obsessed but I think certainly they had a three-picture deal with United Artists, so they had to. Yeah. I suppose Elvis made movies, so he'd set a precedent Elvis made it. movies, but but I think the Beatles probably were just... They were so huge and so successful and such a phenomenon that they probably just thought, why don't we do everything? I mean, you know yeah, what I mean? why not? Lennon, Lennon, Make hay. Lennon wrote a couple of books. McCartney made avant-garde films. I think they were just probably thinking we can do anything we like. Yeah, I don't think they were... Um, particularly obsessed with the idea, but I think they were contractually obligated to find it. And, and of course, they do make a third real film, as it were, but that's Get Back's documentary, and that's what Peter Jackson's making a film about now, so there's a nice little synchronicity. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We should say that although uh, George Harrison never got to play Gandalf, he did set up a production company called Handmade Films that actually were responsible for some very, very good British movies uh, into the uh, 80s, such as... Uh, Time Bandits with Nell and I, The Long Good Friday, A Private Function, and many more. So Harrison did have a film career uh, yeah. of sorts, although just not as Gandalf. Notable exception? Yep. Are you interested in a notable exception? This is the part I of the programme. Yeah. This is the part of the programme where we pause for a one-off, something unique. And um, there's hundreds, literally hundreds of musical um, adaptations or settings or works inspired by the Lord of the Rings. In the world of rock, you'll know like Bo Hansen's brilliant prog album, music inspired by Lord of the Rings. Led Zeppelin wrote songs about it. The Black Sabbath wrote songs about it. Jack Bruce wrote a song about it. There's classical pieces about it. There's folk suites about it. Only one musical arrangement or music inspired by Lord of the Rings ever was approved by Tolkien. Only one thing ever got his seal of approval. And that is a series of settings of the songs from the books written by Donald Swan of Flanders and Swan. Wow, okay. Called The Road Road Goes Ever On. Which makes total sense, I suppose. If um, Tolkien didn't like the Beatles, then English light music seems like it'd be more up his street. I've I've heard them. They're quite pleasant. It's English, as you say, exactly right. It's English light music. It's quite nice. Uh, You can can buy the sheet music should you want to tinkle the iris and play them. But yeah, that was the only thing that passed Tolkien's muster, as it were, that he said that he liked that and he gave his approval to it and he wrote some liner notes, Tolkien himself, to go with it. So that's our our notable exception. Good to know. The next person we're going to talk about was also in the world of music and cinema. So, Josephine Baker, the extraordinary tale of her life. Very few people, if any, of which you can say they were an erotic dancer, a resistance fighter, a movie star, a civil rights activist, an internationally renowned singer. And she also adopted many children as well. She's incredible. Really incredible. It is incredible. And extraordinary, really, whatever your background, but she was born into real poverty, um, a woman of African and Native American heritage. She was born in St. Louis, Missouri in 1906. And just to rattle through her childhood, although that is possibly a film on its own, her mother basically took the true identity of Josephine Baker's biological father to the grave with her. She never really knew who her real father was. It's thought he might have been a white man that Baker's mother was working for at the time. In the biography that um, her son wrote, though, he sort of describes her upbringing. I mean, it's abject poverty that we're talking about. It was one of the poorest districts mm. in that town, a place full of brothels. The housing had outdoor plumbing. So we're talking outdoor sewers here. Uh, she started working as a living domestic from the age of six. That's in 1912. She was married for the first time by the age of 13. Yeah. That marriage yeah. lasted less than a year. She married again at the age of 15. Mm. By this point, she was also street dancing to make money. But clearly she she showed some kind of extraordinary talent in it because she basically ran away with the circus, got out of this poverty, was spotted by um, someone who led a troupe. First she went to New York and she was dancing on Broadway and then she went to uh, Paris 
and she was dancing in the theatres of the Champs-Élysées. Yeah. And this is quite interesting because, I mean, we're talking relatively here, but Paris, for many African-Americans at that time in the 1920s, actually turned out to be a less hostile place than America. Yeah. Yeah. During the First World War, 200,000 African-Americans had been brought to France. And then a lot of them actually decided to stay. Most of them, nine-tenths actually of the 200,000 that were brought over decided to stay in France. And they lived yeah. mostly in Paris. Didn't she say that when she first got on a train and went into a restaurant that she was amazed that she could sit wherever she wanted? Absolutely, yeah. It was just yeah. a completely different landscape, socially, politically, just, you know, felt completely different. We see in Paris this kind of community of African-Americans developing. Some Harlem Renaissance writers and poets and jazz musicians as well move there. Montmartre became a bit of a focal point for this kind of artistic African-American scene. And that's why Paris developed this kind of really good, thriving jazz scene at that time as well. Later we see people like Stefan Grappelli and... Django Reinhardt coming out of it. Mm. Uh, clubs as well, such as uh, La Grande Duque, Chez Florence, and Bricktops, which was so named after Ada Bricktop, who was an American dancer, African American as well. It's rumoured that she and Josephine Baker had a fling. So, Josephine, mm-hmm. you know, she was uh, bisexual as well. Yeah. But yeah, so she was amongst kind of all these other African Americans at the time. There weren't many, but, you know, she was part of this kind of. I suppose, more inviting community of artists and writers and that sort of thing in Paris during the 1920s. Having said that, she still caused some scandal, mostly, though, because uh, she danced essentially semi-nude, her modesty protected only by a string of bananas. Yes, right. And some feathers occasionally, yeah. The odd feather, yeah. yeah. I mean, that would turn some heads, yeah. I think, even on any stage here in Manchester in the 21st yeah, century. Yeah, I've yeah. no first-hand experience, but it's, it's just my yeah. hunch. <laughs> so she was she was massively ahead of her time, wasn't she? Yes, she was. And Paris was just so ahead of its time at that time. I think that's incredible. Reading about this, you just think, gosh, what a place it must have been. You know, that she could come from St. Louis at that time and have this career it just went from strength to strength. Hemingway, he called her the most sensational woman ever. He encountered her in Paris. Picasso was inspired mm-hmm. by her. Jean Cocteau became friendly with her. He catapulted her into a movie career. So just one of the many extraordinary achievements in her life. She's also the first black woman to star in a major film. In 1927, she was in the silent film Siren of the Tropics. Mm-hmm. Then it was only to get more colourful after this. So World War II started... And I guess at that time, she could have just possibly enjoyed, you know, the attention of the German soldiers, of being a celebrity, of performing for the Nazi troops. Instead, she joined the French resistance. She did have this access, I suppose, that her celebrity status gave her. So she had access to the parties where high-ranking Nazis would be present. She would charm them and then she would collect information. And then because she was able to tour, she would go to neutral countries like Portugal and Sweden and she would stitch the secrets or, or write the secrets in her underwear and she would then relay this to to the English. I, I love this thing that she... Such a dangerous game. I love this thing that she was asked by Jacques Abte, the head of French counter-military intelligence, would she spy, essentially? Would she help them in the espionage? And yeah. She, and she said, France made me what I am. I will be grateful forever. 
The people of Paris have given me everything. I am ready, Captain, to give them my life. You can use me as you wish. That's a pretty brilliant thing to say, isn't it? It's amazing. What a woman. It's so inspiring, isn't it? Because that is life. It's it's life risking, isn't it? Yeah. Such a dangerous game. So deservedly, after the war, she received the Resistance Medal, the Croix de Guerre, and the Legion of Honor, which are some of France's highest well, yeah, the, honors, the, aren't they? The, the Legion d'Honneur is the highest order of merit you can get in France, isn't it? Jo- Charles de Gaulle yeah. gave her this, didn't he, in 1945. She also, she when you tell yeah, him what yeah. she did, when you tell him how she took the secrets around the world, I love this one. She carried information, she carried over 50 classified documents by writing down the information in invisible ink on her sheet music. Yeah, amazing. It's amazing. I know, it really is. And then you'd think after the war, I mean, you'd think that would be yeah. all quite exhausting and that she'd had, you know, enough traumatic experiences by this point. In Even though she was quite young, I think I'd feel quite exhausted. But she, it just carries on. So she joined, She basically supports the civil rights movement in, in the States yeah. after this and gets really involved. She joins Martin Luther King at rallies. She wrote articles about the abhorrence of segregation. She refused to re- perform uh, segregated audiences she was actually asked to join the civil rights movement leadership after the death of martin luther king by his wife coretta mm. she did actually refuse because she was worried at that time about the safety of her children she was invited by castro to perform in cuba she became friends with grace kelly who actually let josephine baker live in one of her properties when baker fell into financial trouble later in her life yeah. apparently the FBI had nearly 500 pages of documents uh, on her, which anybody of mixed ethnicity who was left-leaning at the time would certainly have attracted the attention yeah. of J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI. But 500 pages is an awful lot, yeah, isn't absolutely. it? I wonder, what, I wonder actually what they were looking for. Well, I guess it would be, it would be her involvement in the civil rights movement, wouldn't it? How long do you reckon your file with the FBI? <sighs> um, well, since I got Terry, I think it's probably... <laughs> definitely got bigger because he yeah because he's quite aggressive and he's been banned from yeah. doggy daycare already so that oh yeah be a he's going to trouble at doggy yeah. daycare isn't he yeah yeah that we'll have to leave that for a separate <laughs> yeah. pod but um i reckon mine's quite small probably if you spend a she had this chateau near the Dordogne, Chateau de Miland, and that's a place that she also chose to raise 12 adopted children wow. and they were of Japanese, Korean, French, Israeli, Colombian, Finnish, Venezuelan, Algerian and Moroccan descent. She called it her rainbow family. Um, The grounds to the chateau were open and she would let tourists kind of go there and see how she was raising these children and what an inclusive kind of family and environment it was to raise children. And the whole point was that other people could see that people of all different back- backgrounds and ethnicities could be brothers and sisters. I mean, how beautiful is that? Yeah. And oh, just to end what is an incredible life, she kind of died as poetically as she'd lived. I mean, her career saw, you know, there were ebbs and flows and she, there were moments where she was more popular than others. I think it was always a frustration to her that she was never quite as big in the States as she was in France. Mm-hmm. Some of the reviews, I mean, I wouldn't even read them, but they are shockingly racist right. these are reviews by the american press yeah. 
But yeah, her death. So in the mid-70s, there was a performance which was the story of her life. It was a retrospective. It was staged at the Babino in Paris and uh, she actually starred in it. And then four days later, she was found in her bedroom surrounded by rave reviews and she basically, I think she'd had a brain, they think she'd had a brain hemorrhage, but she died basically in her sleep, age 68. Right. And I think it's fair to say, having packed a lot in to those 68 years. Good that she was surrounded by so, her yeah. rave reviews. So we'd like to think, that she, we'd like to think she went out happy, you know. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. There is just something quite, kind of quite beautiful about that, I think. Yeah. But yeah, what a life. What a woman. What a woman, I know. Incredible. Josephine Baker. Incredible. Well, Josephine Baker, erotic dancer, activist... Civil rights, civil rights campaign, French resistance, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> movie star, and uh, the Beatles. How they Mother didn't make many. a Lord of the Rings movie. So that is our first notable of the new season. Let us know what you think. Subscribe, get in touch. Also, are there some stories you'd mm. like us to uh, to investigate and retell for you? I mean, there may be something you've heard. You mean, you might have heard some kind of urban myth or you might have heard some, not an urban myth, but an actual factual thing that you think, oh, I'd like to know more about that. Let us know. Get in touch with us yeah. on Twitter. Maybe there's um, a curious tale from your hometown. Yeah, we're at Notable Pod if you want to get yes. in touch with us on social media. Mm. We will be back next we week will. with something else. Should we keep our powder dry and mysterious so. for now? Yeah. yeah. We do know, though, don't we? Oh, We've got it all mapped out. Don't for a moment think we have. <laughs> I would really... Don't for a moment think we haven't decided yet what we're doing. You've seen the planner for season one. The yeah, high tech. Exactly. Well, there's an e- season one planner. There's an even more elaborate. Go online if you want to see the planner for season one uh, on post it notes in Jeff's garden. But there'll be an even more high tech one that we'll post soon for this. Cool. Notable. The podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.